Hey, my name is Jason. I'm the producer of It Starts With Attraction. I wanted to let you know that we have a brand new website solely dedicated to working on your pies. Introducing ItStartsWithAttraction.com. You can listen to every episode, learn about the pies, and sign up for our weekly newsletter. Go to ItStartsWithAttraction.com. It starts with attraction, one word. It starts with attraction.com to get signed up today. This week on It Starts With Attraction. What do you do when you're in the middle of regret, hurt, and fear? That's what we're talking about in today's episode of It Starts With Attraction, where I interview Scott Sauls, who has recently written a book called Beautiful People Don't Just Happen. How God Redeems Regret, Hurt, and Fear in the Making of Better Humans. We discuss what you do when you're living in the middle of these uncomfortable circumstances and how you can find hope and peace again in your life. Let's dive into today's episode. There's a process to falling in love, and it starts with attraction. Join Kimberly Beam Holmes and her special guest as they discuss how to become the most attractive you can be, physically, intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually, or as we refer to it, working on your pies. We'll teach you how to have better relationships and become more attractive to others, and maybe more importantly, to yourself. It starts with attraction, and it starts now. Really excited to have you on, Pastor Scott, and talk about this new book that you have, Beautiful People Don't Just Happen. Thank you so much for joining me. Good to be with you, Kimberly. Thanks for having me on. What led you to write this book? And also, what led you to the title? Was it one that you picked? Was it one your publisher picked? Mm-hmm. It's an amazing title as well. Sure. So um, so the title is actually uh, taken from an excerpt of a uh, quote from Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who is a a fairly well-known grief expert. And and she uh, writes about how the most remarkable people that she knows are people who've known defeat and loss and Mm. difficulty. And, uh, you know, she says, these are the people, you know, who've been through these sorts of things who emerge and find a way out of these things, they end up being the kinds of people who can show up with empathy and care and kindness and understanding. Um, Now that's just a, that's a paraphrase, but the last sentence of the excerpt is beautiful people did not just happen. And that was a pretty arresting quote uh, for the publisher and also for me as we were considering titles, but um, you know, the book is really about the three main pain points that we as human beings experience in a fallen world. Uh, regret, uh, just, you know, wishing we could go back in time and change things that we've done or said. Uh, hurt, which is just kind of a general catch-all for uh, the, the damage and pain and sorrow and disappointment we experience by virtue of living in a fallen world. And fear, which has to do with our apprehension about what lies ahead in the future. And so so it's a book that kind of weaves in and out of all three of those themes. It's a per- very personal book for me. It's not a memoir, but it's probably more uh, personal just in terms of drawing from my own 
story and experiences than any of the other books I've, I've, I've put out. So uh, it was written in the middle of the pandemic. Um, that was the time of writing. Uh, it's not a book about the pandemic. It's not, uh, it's not that, but, but, but it was precipitated by that season because everybody was, um, reeling in different ways, um, you know, in and around not only the pandemic realities that we all experienced, but also the political climate that we were in, the increasing polarization and loneliness that comes with that. So um, a lot, a lot of factors went into the birth of the book for sure. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you said that was the, the season that it was in that may have led it to finally be written, but can you speak a little bit more about your personal experiences that led you to even want to write a book about this to begin with? You talk a lot about your anxiety and your depression. Mm -hmm. How did that lead to this book? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's part of my story. There's a, there's a tiny little section uh, where, where I write about that part of my story. Um, and, um, and yeah, and I also just being a pastor and being, um, in the calling and occupation that I'm, that I've been in for, uh, 30 years now, give or take, um, this is my life. You know, I, I, people, people invite me into, uh, the most sacred aspects of their stories and their lives and, and, um, and I'm changed every time that happens. And so, um, you know, over the years, there's this reservoir of truth, beauty, and meaning that, uh, you know, as you see God work in people's lives through, um, you know, what, what one of my friends calls the rapture and the rupture of, mm-hmm. um, of seeking to live fully in a tragic place, uh, the tragic place being the fallen world that we live in, um, and so, so yeah, it's part of my story, but it's even more part of the stories of people that I get to spend my life around um, by virtue of what I what I get to do and as a pastor. So it's a little bit of both, um, but yeah, I do I do hit on certain you know features of my own regret and my own hurt and my own fear uh, throughout. And part of that uh, is that I slip in. I think part of one of the chapters, you know, I I talk about my experience with anxiety and depression. Mm -hmm. One of the things that you write about in the book or a quote that you have from the book is the more the soul is worked and stretched to its limits, the Mm -hmm. more able it becomes to endure suffering and enjoy God all at once. Mm -hmm. So, so my, when I read that, that, that statement, I thought, man, like right now, I definitely feel stretched to my limits, especially in certain areas of my life. I wasn't expecting the second part of the sentence, right? Like Mm -hmm. I was expecting it to be like, and therefore you need rest and therefore you need to like back away and step away. But instead it ends with, it becomes able to endure suffering and enjoy God all at once that feels like a tension there. Can you explain mm-hmm. more about what those two things mean and how they interact with each other? It's definitely a tension. Um, it's all over the Bible. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm preaching on uh, Isaiah 53 this coming Sunday, second Sunday of Advent, as the season that we're in right now, as we record this. Uh, and in there, there's this remarkable statement 
um, where it says that after he has suffered, uh, the Lord will look on uh, his cruciform work and be satisfied. Um, you know, the book of Hebrews talks about how, you know, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross and, mm. and, you know, the life of Christ and the humiliation and suffering of Christ. And then the ultimate triumph of Christ, you know, in his resurrection is a pattern that God has given us, that God has built into the fabric of the universe. And it's everywhere, especially in human life and in human existence. Uh, and we, we know this intuitively. I mean, just tracing back to the, the Kubler-Ross quote, um, the people that tend to show up really well um, are the people who've been in some sort of ditch uh, at some point. And, and maybe even the people who show up with the greatest amount of compassion and the greatest amount of insight about how to show up for somebody who's in a situation like you're describing, Kimberly, uh, is somebody who's actually present day going through the same kinds of things. There's an empathy that develops through experience, uh, mm -hmm. through having walked through the valleys of the shadow uh, of death that the scripture talks about. Um, you know, Paul's thorn in the flesh. He talks about how, you know, God's power was made perfect. You know, Paul, Paul's initial response to the thorn was to want to escape it. Uh, it says that he prays three times, uh, pleading with God to remove the thorn. And he gets the answer. My grace is sufficient for you. Um, my power is made perfect in your weakness. And then Paul goes on and says, that's why I delight. You know, that's why I experience joy uh, in weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and difficulties. Um, another one is Romans five. We rejoice in our sufferings, uh, because they produce something and they produce perseverance, character and hope, which doesn't disappoint. And it opens up access to greater and deeper experiences of the love of God in our hearts. Um, you know, and then that famous verse, Romans eight twenty eight, where it says, God works all things together, uh, for good, for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And so, Surround, surrounding that in Romans Romans 8 is Romans 7, where Paul talks about his own experience with guilt and shame over coveting. And then he starts with how there's no condemnation in Christ. And then the end of that chapter is nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ. But all in the, right in the middle of all that, he talks about how all of creation groans and we groan. Uh, and, and that's also where we get Romans 8, 28. And so... I never really, never really dawned on me that that I until recently that I think the key word in that verse is together. All things work together, and and one of the one of the illustrations about that that I use in the book is about banana bread, which is one of my favorite things to eat. Right, it's really great, but the the key ingredient in banana bread is a rotten banana. <laughs> right, nobody wants to eat a rotten banana by itself any more than. And then somebody wants to go through a hard season or a breakup or, or uh, a heartache or, or a loss. Nobody, nobody wants that kind of season. So, so take a look at that season in your life or in my life um, and, you know, just kind of label it. That's the rotten banana. Um, but it says he works those sorts of rotten things together for good. Uh, and so combine the rotten banana with, with, sugar and salt and butter and, you know, flour and all the other ingredients and then turn the heat up on it and out comes this delicious thing. Um, but it doesn't happen um, 
it, it, it doesn't come to the full fruition of what banana bread is supposed to be without the rotten banana. And I, I think there's a, there's a metaphor in there for how hard things shape humble people uh, who are open and receptive to God and not cynical toward God, but, but believing in his sovereign care in, in all circumstances, it has this shaping effect. It, it turns you into somebody remarkable. You know, the Bible, the Bible talks about the fruit of the spirit and fruit doesn't happen unless the seed goes into the ground and into the dark and cracks open and dies. And then it opens up, becomes a sprout, becomes a tree and then it yields fruit for years and years and years upon end. And so, um, you know, it's, it's in the fabric of creation everywhere that, um, yeah, I think Rick Warren said this after his, his son died, um, took his own life, um, uh, having a mental illness and, um, you know, Rick came up with this famous, this quote that became famous is broken trees still bear fruit. And, and, um, I don't know, it's, it's in our experience, best counselors need counseling, <laughs> you know, uh, the best pastors have, have known what it means to need pastoring the best caregivers, Mm-hmm. have known what it n- means to need care. It's just, it's, it's how, it's how things work. Going back to this idea of being stretched too thin, or for some, it's not just an idea, the reality of being stretched too thin. How do you know, where's, where's the wisdom and discernment and knowing, is it something that I need to continue pressing in on? And just like bear through this, even though I'm stretched too thin, even though I don't feel like rejoicing right now, you know, how do I know I need to continue moving forward in this versus is, should like, I'm being stretched too thin and I need to just mm-hmm. say no, I need to let this relationship go. I need to, mm-hmm. whatever, whatever that is. How do you discern that the difference in those things? Well, scripture is the ultimate source of, of wisdom for all things mm-hmm. and surrounding yourself with people who are immersed in scripture and humbly submitted to scripture and asking them to enter into the conversation mm-hmm. and decision process with you is always important because we can sometimes get it wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, especially when we're in a distressed place uh, and less able to think clearly and rationally. Um, yeah. uh, and so, you know, just having, good folks around you who are wise and seasoned and usually, you know, for me that, that also includes older than me, um, you know, ahead of me and in the journey. Um, but yeah, you know, I mean, if something's really, really hard and, and you can get out of it, get out of it. I mean, (laughs) you know, even Jesus before the cross said, look, Lord, if, if there's a way that, that I can, escape, you know, this, this bitter cup that I'm about to swallow, then please let it be. So nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And so, you know, it's another tension there, right? Where it's completely legitimate to want out of guilt and shame or to want out of, uh, trials and tribulations and traumatic experiences. It's completely legitimate. You know, when Jesus stood at the tomb of his friend Lazarus, he he wept and then he got furious at death. 
And, you know, that was even knowing that he was about to commit a miracle and raise his friend from the dead. And yet he paused to enter into the experience of everybody around him. But it was also his experience of, of, of you know, there's this resistance that, that dialed in people have to when things aren't working. We know intuitively that it's wrong. Uh, and, and so to resist and, and to, to try to put an end to things that are unjust, that are broken, that are damaged, that are unhealthy is actually a sign of the light of God at work in us. Um, you know, C.S. Lewis talks about this in mere Christianity. He says, Christianity is a fighting religion. Um, you know, one of the things that Christians do is they, they notice when things are wrong, when they're, they're in disrepair and they, they seek to take action. And, and so, so that's a an impulse that's a good impulse. Uh, it's also a good impulse to to say with Jesus, um, you know, let this suffering pass, let this hard season or trial pass, and yet, nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. So what would be a situation where, you know, that that humility and submission would would apply? Let's say you let's say you ended up in a hard marriage. Um you know, it, 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 and, and, you know, nobody's unfaithful. You're just, you just have clashing personalities and most people would call it quits. Um, but, but you, because of the covenant realities that the scriptures describe and as a person of faith and a person who's submitted to, uh, the bridegroom who gave his life for his bride, even when she was running the other way, um, um, you know, you, you know, loyalty is a deeper core value than escape. Uh, and, and so you lean in instead of leaning out, um, knowing that you may be because, you know, I don't know, you're an introvert, they're an extrovert, you're type A, they're type B. Um, you, you've got a more intense driven personality. They've got a more chilled, you know, contemplative personality, whatever the case may be that causes the tension, right? Um, you know, there, there are higher things than, than seeking our own comfort mm -hmm. and seeking, you know, the curation of our own, you know, life experiences. And, 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 and in that hard path, you find meaning um, that, that's so much deeper than the superficiality of only choosing and staying with paths that feel good all the time. Um, which, by the way, no such path exists. Uh, every feel-good path is is incredibly vulnerable all the time. It can always be lost, and eventually it will be lost because we're all going to die or we're all going to age out. You know, you, you look at even, you know, Proverbs 31, and it talks about, um, you know, how charm is deceitful and beauty, you know, physical beauty is fleeting, right? I'm bald now. I, I used to have this really curly head of hair and it was it was my mother's pride and joy um and you know she told me never to cut your hair and then and then i got to a point where i needed to cut my hair because it looked kind of awkward with the bald spots right um mm -hmm. creation groans and 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 so you know that open-handed acceptance of the fact that for now we live in a fallen existence in a fallen world and even the best things are going to come to an end except for the things that are attached to god and to the finished work of Christ, which will endure forever. Um, so now I'm getting into preaching, but um, but the combination of 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 that tension uh, of of rejecting 
things that will not exist in in heaven and in glory, of rejecting realities that did not exist in the Garden of Eden until Adam and, and Eve fell is a God thing in you, but, but also being willing to live um, submissively and patiently mm-hmm. on God, knowing that one day, if, if you're you know, a believer in Christ, especially, you know, that one day he's going to make all things new, um, including the hardest things. He's going to make them new. And again, as Lewis says, heaven will work backwards and turn even agony into a glory. Mm-hmm. One of the, one of the other points in, in this conversation is that, People are lonely, right? And I think it's interesting that you wrote this or started writing this during the pandemic when people were even lonelier. But as a result of that loneliness, people are not in community, under-encouraged, maybe feeling insecure, and it can be hard for people to admit. Mm-hmm. What are some things that people can do if they find themselves in that place, lonely, insecure, mm-hmm. under-encouraged? Yeah. And uh, to break free from that, to find that feeling of peace that we're searching for. Lonely, insecure, under-encouraged. That's a lot of, a lot mm. of weight um, mm. that, that we end up carrying sometimes. I, you know, for me, and, and this is really the trajectory of the book, um, um, you know, that, that, you know, like Tolkien once said in Lord of the Rings, everything sad will come untrue. Um, you know, this this eternal perspective that scripture mm-hmm. calls us to um, mm-hmm. is everything with respect to um, enduring those seasons, like what you just described. Uh, and also, you know, not just enduring it in a gritting your teeth, white knuckling it sort of way, but enduring it as Jesus did for the joy set in front of you, right? Um, here's the here's the truth for anyone and everyone who believes in Jesus Christ and in believing in Jesus Christ has the hope of life eternal. Your best days are always ahead of you and never behind you. Mm-hmm. Um, you have not lived your best life yet. Um, and that will, that will be a true statement, even when you've been in heaven for a hundred years, because if you read the 21st chapter of, of revelation, Jesus, you know, who's pictured, you know, there's a vision that's given to the apostle John of the future of the new heaven and the new earth, at which time Jesus will say, behold, I am making all things new Mm -hmm. and the old order of things has passed away. Everything is being made new and the verb structure there um, in the literal, you know, Greek rendition and translation of, of, of the original, it, it, Jesus is saying in the future, in the new heaven and the new earth, I continue to make all things new all the time. In other words, tomorrow is going to be a better day than today. And the day after tomorrow is going to be a better day than that. And, Next year is going to be a better year than this year. Next century is going to be a better century than this century. You're going to, instead of, you know, growing, you know, older, weaker, and dumber, we're going to be growing younger, stronger, and more wise for infinite days. Um, 
And, and so to whatever degree we can get the future into our heads and to our hearts as we live the present day, um, you know, there's this, there's this subtle poise that, um, that can be our normal in good times and bad times. Um, and here's a remarkable statement the Apostle Paul makes, Kimberly, in, in Philippians, where he says, I've learned a secret. He says, I've learned the secret of being content. I've learned the secret of having stillness in my soul, rest in my heart, confidence in the future. I've learned the secret while living in want, while, while lacking, and I've learned the secret of contentment while having plenty. Mm-hmm. Now, that's a curious statement. Wait, I thought if you had plenty, then you would be content. You would be happy. Um, well, the writer of Ecclesiastes exposes that as a lie. And, and, you know, he's got everything the world has to offer, and all the success, all the money, all the power, all the romance, all of it. And he, he basically says, you know, none of this has delivered on the promises that it made before I had it. And I thought that, that, that it was making promises that, that it would fulfill but it hasn't. I mean, think of all these world famous artists and musicians who, you know, they call it the 27 club because they took their lives at age 27 because they couldn't live another day while they were on top of the charts, on top of the world, um, you know, et cetera, you know, uh, Marilyn Monroe, you know, just you, there, there's so many folks whose, whose lives cratered at the peak of their success. And, and, Every generation has countless stories like that. And so um, to reject those lies that, you know, the good life that we're looking for and, you know, the if onlys that we tell ourselves, if only this or if only that, um, you know, uh, the only if only is if only the gospel is true, if only the gospel or if only the promises that Jesus makes about the future are true, which they absolutely are. And they're confirmed by a dead man coming up from the grave and 500 eyewitnesses who are willing to testify and give their lives for it. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, if that's true, then we don't need any other if onlys. uh, And and it gives us a context of hope into which we can endure temporary grief, realizing that all grief is temporary. And we can feel it out loud, too, with integrity and with honesty and not stuff it um, all at the same time, like Jesus did at the at his friend's gravesite. Yeah. Do you think that, well, maybe I should ask it this way. What do you think it is that's happening that leads someone to take that season of trial and turn it into a season of rejoicing or to mm-hmm. believe all things work to good? for or work for good for those who love the Lord, right? Like if someone is in the middle of it right now, that can be hard to believe. Mm-hmm. But I also know juxtaposed to that several years ago, Barna did a study asking a bunch of people defi- like, what is one word that would define the season that you felt closest to God? And the overwhelming word was trial. Mm-hmm. It was a season of trial. And yeah. I feel that looking back into my history, like absolutely. When I was going through clinical depression, when my husband and I were going through our adoption, like that is when Jesus was more real and closer than ever before. Yeah. 
Is it a shift? About right. Um, is it a shift so, in perspective, or is he just really meeting us closer in those seasons? No, nah, it's the way it works. It's just the way it works. Um, you know, Tennessee Williams, this famous playwright, wrote an essay called "the T- the Catastrophe of Success." Um, mm-hmm. You know, he was you know living in this roach infested you know closet in New York City, trying to write a play that would make him you know, a living. And, um, you know, he, he wrote a a play called the glass menagerie, which, which was kind of his big breakthrough and became famous and wealthy and, you know, all the, you know, all that went along with that opulent, um, you know, successful artist life in New York happened to him. And he found that he lost his creativity um, in, 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 in the context of success and opulence and getting everything that he wants, he lost the, the grind of the soul that fueled his creativity. And so what he did was he recreated the conditions of poverty, he moved to, um, one of the poorest areas of Mexico, got a flat and, and, you know, essentially starved himself. And, and it was there that, that his creativity was reborn and he wrote, a streetcar named desire, um, which is, which is another, you know, big one. Um, but you know, artists will, artists will, will say this all the time. Like, like I'm, I, I live with a constant state uh, in a constant state of low grade anxiety and, and pain and grief, you know, kind of the Enneagram four vibe. Um, and, and they're, they're like, you know what? I, I, part of me wants to go get help with counseling. Part of me wants to, you know, medicate it, but, but I also don't want to lose my creativity, you know? And, and so there's this, you know, even that is representative of what the scriptures teach us that, um, that what, what the enemy, what evil intends for evil, God intends for good and God flips it. You know, one of, one of my favorite things that Tim Keller, um, you know, who's a mentor of mine, you know, has said is that God will, like he did with Job, he will give Satan uh, some leash uh, in your life. He will. Um, But he will only give Satan enough leash with which to hang himself, uh, as he did with Job, as he did with Paul and the thorn in the flesh, which was also described as a messenger of Satan. And yet God had complete jurisdiction over that thorn all at the same time. Um, you know, it, it's as if Satan comes in, evil comes in and overplays its hand and, and hangs himself. Um, and, and the hanging is revealed uh, through what the end of the Bible calls uh, um, overcoming. And, you know, John says, you know, the one who overcomes will inherit, you know, you know, all of the goodness and glory of the kingdom of God. You know, it's a paraphrase, but overcoming does not mean, um, you know, that we're, we're, we're dunking on, you know, the devil all the time and we're, you know, we're, we're crushing it at life and we're winning everywhere we go. That's not what overcoming means. Overcoming if we remember that John is the last surviving original disciple of Christ and all of the others had died as martyrs and, and, and because of their faith and he alone is left and he is imprisoned for his faith on this remote Island awaiting his own death in old age. 
And he writes about overcoming from that prison. And, you know, overcoming can only mean that, you know, like Amazing Grace says, through many toils, dangerous toils and snares, I have already come. Overcoming essentially means staying with God through it all. Uh, and, it, and if you stray coming back to God and, and being there, uh, at the end with God after it all and through it all, and, you know, an overcomer can be, you know, somebody who's lost two thirds of their body weight and they're withering away from cancer. Uh, and yet they're still responsive to the reading of a Psalm or to, an offer to pray with them, or they have this strange peace about dying. That's overcoming. Um, you mm. know, that, that's how you beat death. You, you beat death um, by dying with Jesus on your lips, you know, um, and surrounding yourself with people who will remind you of what's true and eternal. That's what overcoming is. Um, so it's good. Yeah. That's real good. Putting, putting things into perspective as well. Mm-hmm. Pastor Scott, what are the final words that you have to our audience, especially if they're in the middle of a season of, mm-hmm. of hurt, of pain, anxiety, mm-hmm. to help them see the hope that is on the other side, or even there in the midst of, yeah. in the midst of it? Um, find a healthy local church, mm-hmm. um, which I, I know is a hard thing for people who are hurting. You know, there's there's a lot of barriers of, you know, being known in a hard time. Um, you know, when we want to appear as strong and confident, or maybe some people have some church hurt, um, mm-hmm. et cetera, but, but, um, don't give up on how God can show up for you in the context of a bunch of flawed people who have put their hope in Christ. Um, have, you know, seek out one, or two or a handful of friends who believe in the eternal promises that, that have come from Christ and ask them to speak into your life as often as they're willing and able to do that. Um, and, you know, discipline yourself to remember that um, you're in a season, you're in a chapter, you're, you're in one of the middle chapters of the story that God is writing in your life. Um, but this is headed toward a happily ever after. It really is. You know, the reason why children resonate so much with the happily ever after stories and reject the ones that don't end happily ever after is because they all have underneath them this undercurrent of the happily ever after story that is true. Um, Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Um, And that that bodes well for uh, the suffering people of God. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for your time, Pastor Scott. We will put the link to your book, Beautiful People Don't Just Happen, How God Redeems Regret, Hurt, and Fear in the Making of Better Humans. We'll have that in the show notes so that everyone can go and purchase a copy and be a blessing. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate what you're doing. Thanks, Kimberly. Appreciate it. Here are my key takeaways from today's episode with Pastor Scott Sauls. 
And I also want to say here really quick for people who are listening that are not Christians and maybe you don't know Jesus and you don't know the verses or the stories that we were referring to in our conversation, I I want to encourage you that all of this is accessible to you. If you're listening to this and thinking, man, how can people be so sure of the fact that there was a man that lived and died and rose again and that he's coming back and that he is the son of the living God who has made everything in this world, how can people believe that? Then I encourage you to know that that same relationship with God, that very personal relationship with God is there for you because he cares for you. He cares about your story. He cares about the ending of it. He is pursuing you whether you believe him or not. And he loves you unconditionally, whether you love him or not, no matter what you have done, he is there and he is waiting. You can say a prayer right now. Something as simple as God, help me. God, show yourself. And if you need a Bible, I would be happy to send you one. Just send me a message, find me on Instagram, wherever, contact our team. We'll get you a Bible. That is not going to be a problem whatsoever. But I want you to know that because I know there's several people who listen to this show who you, you don't believe in God. You don't believe in Jesus. And you know what? This is a place for you. You are welcome here. And I hope that even in just sharing what I believe, that you're able to find hope, that you're able to feel more peace, and that maybe you decide to just lean in and see a little bit more about what this God and Jesus thing is all about. Here are my key takeaways from today's episode. I love the line where Scott said, If you believe in Jesus, then the best days are always the ones in front of you. Whew, I needed to hear that today. And I'm thinking maybe you did too, because sometimes life gets hard. And when life gets hard, we want to, or we have a tendency to want to become reclusive, to to stop talking to people, to just kind of let the shame overcome us and overwhelm us of everything that's going on, to feel like we are alone, but you're not. I encourage you to create the action items in your life. Actually do the things that were recommended. Get involved with a local church. Find people in your life who have hope, who are willing to speak that hope into you, who will pray for you, even if you are not able to pray for yourself right now. That is a huge asset that you can use in your journey to overcome. And man, did I love talking about what it means to be an overcomer. It doesn't be, it doesn't mean that you become the most rich, the most famous, that you have it all together. It means that you continue to trust and love Jesus. That's it. That's it. When life gets hard, that you have a rock that you're able to turn to, the rock of Jesus, the protection that he offers, the refuge that he is. I mean, scripture is just full of the promises of how he never leaves us. He never abandons us. We can find refuge in his wings. He's our protector. He is our shield. He is our reward. He is our reward. 
not money or fame or success or looks or the perfect relationship. Just him. And he is always faithful to do what he said he would do. I'm encouraged by this. And I hope that you are too. If you have a friend that you know, a loved one who would benefit from this episode, please share it with them because everyone needs a little bit more hope in their life. Until next week, stay strong.